0: Good to be with you this morning, and uh, good to trust that Jesus is going to be speaking to all of our hearts and as josh said the uh, the whole theme of this is sparking or igniting compassion and I always thought that I was kind of a compassionate guy you know I did the football growing up self defense I was a hunter bow and arrow archery you know, and Bambi and sorry about that but anyway, so then I, I married my wife Beth and I found out something was a little bit different when uh, the first time I saw her pick up a little spider, an insect and very carefully take it outside and release it. And I thought, okay, I don't know that I understand that. And I think what that is, now that I've come to live with her and walk with her, and we live in the inner city, and we deal with kiddos roaming the streets, and she's been mentoring girls for 26 years, and I go, oh, I have a few things to learn about compassion, I have a few things to learn about long-term love. And uh, I'm sometimes a little bit dense, so I, uh, I'm just trusting that God will stir me this morning as he stirs you, I hope. Uh, there, there's really three major pieces of today, and I hope that if I say them now, you'll be able to follow me and weave them together. The first is this compassion being ignited. The second is the dynamic of family, What Josh said, we need to be in spiritual community. We need to be in family. And the third thing then is the idea of that we've been grafted in, we've been adopted into the family of God. And I've seen this, we had, I was gonna actually change the order, but then we didn't get the slides. So anyway, here they are. Um, So we had the privilege about, Five years ago to take in one of these inner city kids just for a short term. Uh, He was being abused. He was neglected. He uh, he was just a mess. And the family was a mess. So we took in little Zeke. And there's Beth with Zeke. And uh, what a delight it was for us. I didn't know that God would touch my heart and break it for this little guy. And oh, here we go, (laughs) Josh. Fall in love with him. You know, uh, a kiddo that didn't ask to be born in what he was, asked, what he was living in, didn't, didn't have an idea that he'd be moving to three or four schools a year and uproot four to five and six times. And so we had the privilege of being with him. there, telling secrets there and, and uh, really fall in love with this little kiddo. And about five months into it, the mom got mad at us for whatever reason, took Zeke back, And then within a week, he was living with a different relative. The first year that he was away from us, he moved into four different schools, and he's five years old. This has gone on now. He's 10 years old since this happened. Same pattern, same instability. And I thought, God, what what do we do? And we, we have kids in the neighborhood that are running the streets at three, four, five years old. No parents are looking after them. We have kids that are that are moving all around. And these are the kids that fall into our systems. These are the kids that fall into foster care. That then, 75% of the kids that are in foster care actually go into prison or jail or some type of incarceration. 50% deal with that come into the whole sex trade because they don't have stability of family. So this is very dear to my heart as far as what we share this morning. And as I was thinking about the, the whole thing of what ignites a fire in us? How do we get lit up? And if it doesn't hit us at, at the core of, of our guts, the core of our being, we won't do anything, number one. Number two, if we try to do something, we'll, there will be no long-term sustainability. Because we're just doing shoulds and oughts and f- something we think we, is good to do. But if God convicts us, if God moves into the core of who we are, everything changes for our lives and for those that we're, we're trying to impact and love. And so the obvious thing came to mind for me, pretty simple, but I thought, of, well, okay, what's, a, what's an igniting fire in the Bible? Well, Moses in the burning bush, right? No, yeah? Okay, for me it was, it, it hit me that, that here is this man that was saved, he was adopted, pulled out of the River Nile where tens of thousands of babies were being killed every year. And he was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, lived there 40 years, saw an Egyptian mistreating one of his fellow countrymen. He struck the Egyptian, killed him, found out. Then he fled to the wilderness in Midian. Was there another 40 years? So here's here's Moses, 80 years old, and God's got to get his attention. Now, you know, the older I get, and it's happening, um, I find that sometimes I can get a little crusty, I can miss things, I can forget a lot of things, and so what happens is god 's got to constantly get my attention. Well, what better way than than to have his presence as an all consuming fire in this bush that didn 't burn and Moses looks at it, and I, I, this is just kind of a joyous thing for me in uh, It says in in the scriptures, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to a far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, now whoever wrote this translation, I'm not sure if it's NIV or what, but I think they missed it a little bit. So this is what he said. I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? I think Moses is going, holy cow. What is that? I'm going to fearfully go over and and look at this thing. This wasn't like, yeah, that's just another burning bush, right? He hadn't even seen that and nobody had. So God grabs his attention And then announces, Moses, take off your feet because the place that you're standing is holy ground. It's my presence, almighty God, creator of the heavens and earth is here right now, right in front of you. And he says, I've got a reason to reveal myself to you in this way. The reason in verse 7 is, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned or I'm filled with compassion about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. See, Moses knew he was adopted. Moses needed revelation of what's going on and what, what's this life. Am I just going to be a, a sheep herder all my life or is there something more? How about you? Do you ever wonder if you're just kind of wandering in life and God is saying, no, I've got something special for you. I have a calling on every one of your lives. I want you to discover what that is. So as God continues, he reveals who he is. And Moses needed to know both the who and the why before he would begin any kind of an action. And even when he got into it begrudgingly, remember? and I can't speak. I have to have Aaron speak. All of those conversations, finally he begins to fall in love with this, some scholars say over 3 million people who were disobedient, who were a mess, who didn't have a clue. They were fearful. They were in slaves and bondage. And he falls in love with his people. And they kept messing up just like sometimes we do, right? They messed up a whole lot. And at one point, God said, I've had enough. I'm going to wipe them out. Moses, I'm going to start a whole new group with you. Moses said, oh, God, don't do that. Take my life instead of theirs. Can you... Can you feel that kind of compassion where he's saying, no, 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 take my life, but spare their lives? How about when we see the world around us? Do we, do we wonder, just kind of let them go? Or do we say, God, change my life so that their lives can be impacted? I want to be like that. I want to be somebody who is pliable, even in my old age. And so this definition for compassion for me is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is hurting in pain or who has misfortune and is accompanied by a strong desire to help the suffering. They see what's going on, but they're moved beyond a feeling. They're moved beyond emotion to something that is in their their bowels. It's in their gut and they can't help but do something about it. That's what compassion is. Compassion always moves us to action. True compassion, we just don't sit back in the easy chair and go, oh, that's just too bad. Look at the world, it's a mess. True compassion moves us to do something. God wants to create a movement here at Mercy Road. God doesn't want us to sit still, to sit idle. His heart is breaking for this world around us. He's not going to be content for us just to go and play church. He wants us to be the church, to be in action, to move to where the hurting people are and to embrace them. May he expand us today. May he stretch us today. May he put in our hearts a desire to risk, a desire to be inconvenienced. When I'm in the inner city, I I gave up my right to my time. I just say, Lord, that's probably the most precious commodity that we don't want to give up. I say, Lord, here it is. You take it. So whoever you bring into my path this day, into our paths, it's yours. And sometimes he'll say no, because I do want to have you encouraged to listen to Jesus on every point, every decision. Sometimes he'll say no, just hang back. Other times he'll say, yeah, go for it. But I've given up my schedule, my rights. And so how did this how did this whole, how many of you, did you know that also today is Orphan Sunday? How many knew that today is Orphan Sunday? Hey, this is a lot better than the last uh, time that we met. Today is Orphan Sunday. It started in 2012 in Zambia. An African pastor had a heart for these orphans that were all around because AIDS had decimated the country and the villages Moms and dads were no longer there. Grandparents were no longer there. Kids were raising kids. And so he's preaching on this one morning in this little little mud hut church that he had. And guess what? The people started to bring their shoes and put them at the front of the altar and said, it's all I have but give them my shoes. And one lady in the back said, I'll take one. And she took in one, one orphan. And that began to grow, grow through their whole community. Now that has grown to over 90 countries that are celebrating, that are being challenged in this, this special Sunday called Orphan Sunday, which has everything to do with compassion. It has everything to do with justice. It has everything to do with family. It has everything to do with adoption. And so one of our, our uh, outpost leaders, Don and Bill Dunkman, had a vision about a year ago to start an outpost for her heart for orphans. And I, I didn't know anything about it. You know, she kept after me and in a good way. And I said, well, let's birth this thing. Let's see what happens. And then all of a sudden, God brought the same kind of passionate people around her. They got connected with a thing called Care Portal. Now they give us practical ways that we can meet needs of kids and single moms uh, in this community and in Marion County. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But it's one person following a passion. What about you? What kind of passion has God put in your hearts that you haven't stepped out in yet? Do you think there's something that's stirring, that's brewing? Will you feel that with me today? Will you ask God, what is going on in me today as I hear this challenge, as I hear this message? Am I going to be able to risk and to have faith in you that you're going to provide and you're going to show me clearly what is that path that I'm supposed to take? That's why in the service I thought i put on their shirt. It's called Local Orphan Voice. And Don gave it to me this morning, and I finally put it on. Anyway, then the, uh, I had to take a step back and look at what is the divine purpose of God? I mean, what about for all of us? Do you know why you were created? Here's what I think. I think every person was designed by God to be loved and to love to be known and to know, to be heard and to hear, to belong and to help others belong, to grow and help others grow, to be served and to serve. And the best setting for this to happen is in a natural or spiritual family. That's what we started with. If we're not in a family, if we're not in a community of believers, I I believe that we can't grow to our full potential, and I believe that we can't get well. I think if we sit out like lone wolves and we try to navigate this this whole Christian life by ourselves, we will not grow to maturity. And this whole dynamic of community, and what what I talk about in our microchurch training is this Hasid love, this sticky love that doesn't let people go, that loves them through thick and thin, and people begin to heal, even of trauma that they've had because they know that they're loved, they know that they're safe, and they know that this community is going to walk with them through thick and thin. Are you in that? Are you in that kind of community today where you know that you're loved no matter what? You know you have this sticky love all around you? So I believe that the church must rediscover that the only, the only way to advance God's kingdom is to become a true spiritual family of love. And I believe God only builds his kingdom according to the pattern of Trinity, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit family. In Psalm 68, 5 and 6, it says, he's a father to the fatherless, He gives justice to the widows, for he's holy. Look at this. He gives families to the lonely. Who's more lonely than kids without moms and dads? Who's more lonely than kids, the young adults that have gotten incarcerated or those that are falling in the cracks in our city and in our suburban areas? Who's more lonely than that and confused and scared? I believe our primary uh, reason for being alive for our existence is relational love. (laughs) But the problem is, and we all have a problem, you know what that is? We're all inherently orphans. You see, at the fall, everybody had an orphan spirit and felt alienated, distant, far from God, alone, Confused. That's all of us. But the good news is, is God's intention before the foundations of the world were laid was was to bring us into his family, was to adopt us. We've been grafted in. In Romans, it talks about the the Gentiles and the Jews and the fact that God brought us into this branch, this, this olive tree where the roots grow deep, and that olive tree is Jesus. And it's because of what he did for us on the cross through bearing our sin and through shedding his blood and through rising again from the dead that he gave us access to the very throne room of of God the Father. And I know that, you know, a lot of us have suffered loss. And I know that I think of the loss of my first wife and I know right now that she's in the presence of Jesus face to face. I have no doubt. I have no doubt that that's where we're all going. But let's make the best of times now. Let's not miss out on God's greater plan for you and for Mercy Road. And let's let him use us to make a difference in this world. I think of Jesus and I think of the times that he was moved by compassion. He saw the crowds and he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I think of the story that he gave of the compassionate father. Do you remember that one? I mean the prodigal son, right? The compassionate father is that after his son comes to his senses and is coming home, and you know this story, he sees him at a distance. He takes his robe, girds it up, and he runs for his son. And he embraces him and kisses him and says, give him the, the golden ring signet. Kill the, the fatted calf because this son of mine which was lost has now been found. And that's how he feels about every one of us. And why we're in the, this place and why we're in the kingdom at all is because, all because of God's compassion. And guess what? He wants to deposit that same compassion in every one of us. He doesn't want us hard-hardened. He wants us soft and pliable so that he can move us. And take us to the calling and the purpose for which he's designed us. And thank God for a church like Mercy Road. I cry every time. uh, That wants to reach people that are far from Jesus. Has a a vision to see a million people in Indiana come to Christ and beyond. And is actively doing something about it. And is birthing outposts. And is giving 50% of their income, a way to empower people outside the walls of this church. Who does that? How many churches do you know that will do that? That's what compelled me and drew me here because not many are doing that. But guess what? With those of us that are here, we can make a difference to folks in our immediate sphere of influence, in the city, in the state, and beyond to the other parts of the world. So what is our response? James 127 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows when they're really doing well and they found a place to stay and they're got plenty of food and they got shelter. Oh wait, it doesn't say that. It says to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Right in the midst of the mess that they're in, the trouble that they're in, that's who he says, Go visit them, find out who they are. Do we know who they are around us? Do we know who they are right here in Marion County? Do we know that there's 17 million kids in foster care system? And do we have ways that we can reach them and touch them? There are, and that's what we're gonna talk about in a minute. So a statement that I wanna make is, you may not be able to change the world for everyone, but you can change the world for someone. We have some dear friends that are gonna come up Pastor Kathy and Steve and Craig, come on up. And uh, they have gone through. Let's welcome them. Come on up. (laughs) Pastor Kathy's over, discipleship, and all of our huddles and our rooted. And uh, they have gone through a journey that didn't start as a mature journey. It started with baby steps. So I have one question. Why in the world did you enter this journey in the first place?
1: I don't even know. To be totally honest, Um, we came into the adoption journey through infertility. And Steve and I were living down in Florida. Uh, I was teaching, and Steve was working at Habitat for Humanity. And we had this beautiful little girl, Alex, and she was rambunctious, and she was uh, strong-willed. and I mean, we were living a full life with this little girl. And um, I remember one day looking at Steve and I said, I just don't feel like our family is complete. Like I thought about the Thanksgiving table years down the road. And I said, I I just, God is telling me, it's not just the three of us. It's not just going to be the three musketeers. Um, And so we began trying to get pregnant and couldn't. And so we began uh, the infertility process of IVF and Um, the IVF process failed, it didn't happen. And I remember the Saturday after our failed IVF, we were in Chipotle because that's what families do on a Saturday. (laughs) And I just remember I had this epiphany and I looked at Steve, and this is how a lot of things (laughs) happen in our family. And I was like, babe, we don't have to grow our family by having a baby biologically, we can adopt. And he just looked at me like, okay. And the ironic thing about this epiphany is that Steve is adopted himself. Like it just never entered our mind before that. And so a week later, I had brought him to an adoption, uh, like, information gathering. And it was about international adoption and all these things. And I am just, like, sitting on the edge of my seat, so excited. And they started talking about Ethiopia. And I literally could not sit still because I just had this, this voice from God say, that's where your son is. So Steve and I got in the car on the way home and I'm like, babe, we're adopting from Ethiopia. That's where our baby is. And Steve was just radio silent. And so I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about that.
2: Okay, so I did not want to go, but, you know, I love this woman. She's my best friend and we have a great time anywhere we go, right? So we, you know, when you have an infant at home, infant at home there's not a whole lot of date nights, right? So I'm thinking, date night? <laughs> We're going to an adoption seminar, getting a babysitter, getting dinner. So I had some other motives, probably, right? Um, so we went, and it was, it was fascinating. There was so much information that it was quite overwhelming uh, and a little bit intimidating. So on the way home, I was probably a little bit quiet, but um, over the next few months, I had a really difficult time trying to articulate my fears, which were many. Um, The first is that I grew up in a church where there were numerous families trying to adopt domestically and internationally, and it took years. And some of them didn't actually happen. Uh, There were problems. Between countries and um, all kinds of problems and I watched Disappointment and I could never think I, I, I I had such a hard time comprehending how there could be such a big need locally and internationally and it was so hard just to bring a child home and and bring them to your family it just never made sense to me uh, second, I was adopted myself, as Kathy mentioned, and I had a lot of questions about my adoption. I did not know anything about my birth parents. Um, I never pondered on it too much because I, I love my parents, and I can't imagine my life without them. Uh, but as uh, we went through the rehearsal, I let Greg know that uh, you know I turned 50 this year, the big 5-0, and uh, on my birthday, um, I met my adoption family, or my uh, birth family. Um, there are my sisters, and thank God I did not have to be the older brother back then. Uh, but that is my sister Carla and my daughter Alex. I think they are they look strikingly similar. That's my birth mom Teresa, uh, and there is my granddad who's 92 years old and what i love about that is that i came home and i got to tell kathy that you know babe i'm going to be a cute 92 year old one day (laughs) so (laughs) it was pretty fun um and then uh finally as kathy mentioned we lived in florida and i didn't ever feel like we were really that wasn't our forever home so starting adding to our family in a place where i didn't think we would stay much longer didn't seem realistic but So uh, we packed up, moved to Indiana, lived with my parents for eight months. Um, Praise Jesus, my mom still invites us over for holidays. Um, And we built a house. And a couple months later, I just had this strong pull on my heart. I started thinking about this adoption thing, and more specifically about Ethiopia, Now, I did not say anything to Kathy, because that would have been probably not a good thing. (laughs) Um, But I started praying about it. Um, It was morning, afternoon, and night. Uh, It was just probably the most prayerful time I had had in my life. Um, And that same week, later in the week, I had the most profound, real dream that we boarded a plane and went to Ethiopia. And I woke up, just remembering every detail of it. And again, I didn't say anything, but I went to work, prayed about it, I had a very, you know, uneventful day at work that day. But I came home, and Kathy was sitting in the home office, and she was looking at adoption stuff. And I walked in and said, "Babe, I think let's let's do this." And she looked at me, and cocked her head a little bit, and was like, "Really?" I was like, yeah, I. I God's. I have this real peace about this. And so we embraced, we cried, and yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I would love to say, like, and happily ever after. You know, uh, in all honesty, anyone who's been through the adoption process, it, it isn't this linear process. It, it's really a roller coaster. And so the next two years, two years, um, was filled with paperwork and uh, lots of interviews and lots of different things. And we just faithfully took those steps because we knew we just, we were like our son. We're bringing home our baby. And two years later, we got a referral for our sweet baby boy, TJ. And you'll see a picture. Um, we were so excited. Our hearts were I mean it was like that's my boy we got his nursery ready we had baby showers our our community our family they were all ready for tj to come home and um the week before we were getting on the plane we got a very unexpected call and alex was with me when we got that call and tj at six months old had suddenly passed away from pneumonia And there was no medicine for him in Ethiopia. So we just mourned. And what we learned in that process of mourning was that we weren't alone. That our little boy, TJ, he mattered so much. Our community, our friends, they were mourning. They came over crying, handing us casseroles, just like you do when you you just don't know what else to do. Our adoption agency they shut down and the special moms in Ethiopia they buried him and they had never done that before and so we just waited and we weren't really ready to be honest to enter the the process again but we felt like God had given us a call and so a couple months later, we said, okay, we'll move forward. And very hesitantly, we accepted another referral. And this, is the ref- this was the referral for who you all know as Jesse. And we were just so afraid to love him. There he is. Do you have a picture of him? <laughs> and if you know Jesse, he smiles all the time. So to see this picture, this was the picture, our first picture of Jesse, and he's smiling in every single picture. And it was almost like hope was looking at us right in the face, but we were so afraid to embrace it. And so hesitantly, we got on a plane a few months later, and we were really stoic, Like, we just didn't want to, like, have the emotions. And I remember we got off the plane, and just the experience of going to Ethiopia is just really profound in itself. But we got to Hannah's Hope, the orphanage where Jesse was. And they opened the gates. And we walked in, and before us was a whole line of special mothers. These are the moms that take care of the babies, the orphans. And they were crying because they knew we were coming and they knew that we were TJ's mom and dad and the little boy that they buried for us yeah but they also knew that we were coming for Jesse and so the tears were very mixed. It was, it was a lot of sadness. It was the juxtaposition of, of loss and celebration at the same time. And so they walked us into Hannah's Hope. And I remembered, because Jesse's Ethiopian name, and it's his middle name, is Gatiso. And they're saying, Gatiso, 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 Mom and Dad. And all of a sudden, this little boy just looked up at us. And it was just tears of like, oh my gosh, this is real. It was an ugly, ugly cry, right? <laughs> and I remember our, our first few months um, with Jesse, the thing that I remember the most is that I would carry Jesse in this baby Ergo, you know what I'm talking about? And he would constantly, he would grab my face and he would just look at me And smile and it was like he knew he was home the profound thing is that although TJ didn't come home he is home and one day we will be with him and we will hold him and I will be able to look in his face and say mommy's home Adoption is so much more than um, just bringing home a kid or, you know, it's so much more than that. That's our boy. (laughs) It's about um, God knitting our family and knitting our stories together in an even bigger way than we could have ever imagined that his dream for us as family is bigger than maybe what we think it is. I would do this a million times over again. So I know you know us as having a family of two kids, but we really have three. And I wouldn't trade that story for anything. And now my son, Jesse, gets to walk with a dad who understands the questions and the hurt, but also that he's found. And I couldn't ask for anything else. So we love you, and just thanks for allowing us to share that story. And I love you too.
0: (laughs) Thanks. Let's give them a hand. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's good. You can stand up, and you can stay standing up, actually. So let's all stand up, and and, uh, as we close out, you know, the... You saw Steve up here in tears, and this whole dynamic of compassion and love and loss is, impacts us deeper than, than, than many of us perhaps realize, and God wants us to be able to walk into that with open arms and say, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it is, yeah, I want to follow you in this. So this morning, I believe that there is a response. Um, I, uh, I realized I just forgot to show something, a, a call to compassionate action. Uh, I think we have time. Let's uh, show that three-minute video of, um, of uh, the whole thing of Care Portal. So now you got your exercise. You can sit back down for a second. Thanks. Sorry. But um, so through Local Orphan Voice the outposts that we're talking about, they have connected us with a group called Care Portal, which allows us to meet practical needs of people in Marion County, single moms, foster care kids, DCS kids, also within our own county out here. So take a look at this and then we'll wrap it up
3: quickly. All right. Every year, more than four million children on the brink of entering foster care. And more than 400,000 are in foster care, most of them for preventable reasons. The foster care system impacts more than you can imagine. 50% of the homeless, 60% of girls and women rescued from sex trafficking raids, and 75% of those incarcerated spent time in foster care. The foster care system is ground zero. The place where our efforts will have the absolute greatest impact on our communities. And here is the good news. So many of you care about these issues. Churches and agencies and businesses, community leaders all want to help. What we're missing is connection. The chance to collaborate and put our networks and resources together. Care Portal uses technology to make real-time care connections for kids and families in crisis. This platform helps us make the most vulnerable children our priority, which makes them the single most powerful source for uniting and healing our communities as we serve together. Here's how it works. Caseworkers with child-serving agencies encounter needs of children in crisis every day. They enter vetted needs into Care Portal, which immediately makes local churches and community members who've joined the network aware, giving them a real-time opportunity to respond. This platform is designed to equip the local church to be at the point of care for these children and families in need, and it allows for the entire community to work together on any request. So whether it's one church that responds or a community of churches and businesses and individuals working together, Care Portal makes vital connections possible through an easy-to-use platform at your fingertips.
1: So many of our children and families in child welfare are isolated. They don't have a support system. Care Portal can provide not only the physical needs for the children and family, but can also provide a support system and relationships.
3: I look at the Care Portal as a platform for us to be able to do ministry uh, across denomination lines, across racial lines, across social economic lines, and the mission field is in our backyard. Sometimes, connection means meeting one need at just the right moment. At other times, connection starts life-changing relationships. When you join Care Portal, You're saying yes to connections that change lives, transform communities, and can reverse the foster care crisis in our nation. That yes makes children the priority because every child matters, and what you do matters. Children have the power to change us.
0: Now we can stand up as we close. So four challenges that I have, the first is some of you, we, want, we need to pray about actual adoption. God's been putting it on your heart. He's, I think, saying to you, take the next step. Some can get involved in driving a truck, dropping off a crib, see Don and Bill Dunkman out at Outpost Central to find out more information, to get signed up and say, yeah, I can do something really practical. I can take those baby steps to get involved. Some have a passion that you don't know what to do with or a burden that you're carrying and it needs some sort of an expression. Come and see me or contact me, greg at mercyroad.cc. And then some of you are online may need to take that step where God is inviting you to come into the family, into the spiritual family of his kingdom. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace. And Lord, I would pray that one of those four categories probably touches all of us to actually adopt, to get involved locally here and make a tangible difference. Lord, to express a burden or something that folks are carrying that need this expression of an outpost, perhaps, and then, Lord, for those that have not yet entered into the kingdom and said yes to Jesus, be my Lord. I turn away from my way. I turn to your ways. So, Father, do this, and more than we can ask or think or imagine, glorify your name this day as we continue to worship, and everybody said in Jesus' name, amen.